0: Hey, I'm here with uh, Matt Welch, and today I'm going to introduce uh, Matt, or have Matt introduce himself, and have have him talk a little bit about uh, the work that he's doing uh, in Africa and, and in the United States. Um, Matt was, uh, uh, we got acquainted, he was uh, one of my uh, students and has continued to be a, a close friend uh, through the years. Uh, Matt, can you kind of give us a, a rundown uh, of your journey then uh, in, the, in the Christian life? Yeah, sure. Well, first, I just want to thank you for having me. I love the
1: podcast. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, and boy, it's such it's, it's a long, dark story. So I guess I'm not quite sure uh, where to begin.
0: Um, but well, as I understand well, it, you, you were kind of raised. In both the Catholic and both Catholic and Calvinist, an, an interesting combination
1: yeah, well, that's true. So I mean I did all the um, you know, I did sort of the the Catholic you know part of the Catechism. Um, I don't think I was quite confirmed, but we sort of went to you know Catholic Church kind of here and there, uh, and then my parents got divorced, and basically what ended up happening was my dad became a Christian and started going to, a, a like, a Reformed Presbyterian church. So I ended up moving in with my dad and kind of took that kind of inherited Catholicism with me to his, his house and started going to, you know, intermittently to church with him and was uh-huh. kind of uh, introduced to what well, I didn't understand it at the time, but I was being introduced to sort of Evangelical
0: Reformed theology. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and your dad yes, is yes, is and, continued faithful as uh, in in the uh, reform tradition.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I read. You know, for me, I, I kind of I've always loved you know philosophy and theology, even though I didn't live uh, rightly, and we'll talk about that here. But um, you know, I, I read all the reform stuff I could get my hands on, just because it was the only theology that I was really exposed to. It's the only stuff I had access to, right? So I was reading all the stuff from R.C. Sproul and. E. James Kennedy, and, and just all those guys, you know, uh-huh. even some Calvin and all that stuff, and uh, really understood the system pretty well, because my dad, you know, the system of Calvinism pretty well, uh, and by the way, I mean, my dad's one of the, the best men that I know, I mean, he's one of the most charitable men that I've ever known, uh-huh. and uh, he loves the Lord, you know, uh-huh. um, and, you know, and so, so it, he was, you know, one of my favorite, and still is like, one of my favorite conversation partners, though now we sort of disagree on (laughs) many issues, but, uh, we're both Christians. We both do ministry together and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I kind of ate that stuff up in terms of just reading everything that I could. And I really got a really great grasp of what Calvinism uh, is, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, none of that really transferred over into like my personal life. It was literally more of just kind of an objective, philosophical engagement really
0: because you Um, got you could just uh think of yourself as being saved but it didn't translate into any ethical or uh walked out life is that what you're saying
1: yeah and i mean and and i don't know if that's sort of the default you know sort of the fault of 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 communism but you know i was sort of you know partying with my friends you know using you know sort of smoking weed at the time smoking marijuana drinking doing all the the stuff that we just kind of did, and it was just something sort of on the side that I would be thinking about, and uh, you know, in my spare time, you know, I would sort of get high and just read, you know, and just and and have these conversations and things like that. But for whatever reason, there was a disconnect between um, the sort of philosophical conversations that I was having about um, Calvinism and sort of it translating into my life up to a point. But I, I do have to admit that. Actually, you know, I read a book by R.C. Sproul called The Holiness of God. Um, and at the time, the, it really kind of shook me up when I read it. Um, and I remember, you know, getting to that point of literally sort of getting on my knees and asking Jesus into my heart. And, you know, it's all I knew at the time. You know, I didn't really know anything about sort of baptism. I didn't really do much with the Bible, frankly. Like I was doing a lot of just reading uh, theology. Uh You know, so I really wasn't engaging, like, Acts and the New Testament as much as I was, you know, sort of books on theology. Um, So I was just sort of taking what was given to me, which was more of a, you know, you prayed this prayer, right? Uh Uh, You asked, you know, Christ into your heart. But for me, it was a very real thing. Um, And I'll never forget, you know, sort of getting on my knees and having, like, my first sort of experience with God, where I, I felt like, I was in the presence of God that I was experiencing like his holiness in a way that was very uh, unnerving.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And and I can, I almost, I remember it as uh, sort of being on my knees and kind of just admitting like, God, you know, I'm a sinner. I know I'm not living right. And I'm just asking for your forgiveness. um, You know, and I'm asking you to save me. And I do remember having like a very uh, intense, sort of peace come over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was even then followed by a change of life. You know, I, I sort of started withdrawing from my friends, and, you know, I, I kind of just said, hey, guys, I'm just going to be the designated driver for a while. You know, and they, I, I just told them, I was like, I'm going to kind of take a break. And they were this like, okay, in, man, that's uh, fine, whatever.
0: This was in high school?
1: This was in high school, yeah, or, or just right around the time. I was like, probably right after I graduated
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, from high school. And so – you know, they, they kind of, I'm sure noticed that I wasn't, you know, participating. I was still hanging out with them, but I was kind of, I I wasn't, I didn't tell them, you know, Hey guys, I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just something that I kind of did on my own and didn't really tell anybody except my dad. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, but I was trying to sort of say, okay guys, you know, without saying it, like, all right guys, I'm going to kind of just be the designated driver and I'll take you guys where you want to go. We can still hang out, but I'm going to kind of take a break from the, from the marijuana and the drinking and all that good stuff. Right. And so that, that continued for about six or seven months actually. And, uh, you know, I was, I was dating a girl at the time and we broke up and I told her, I was like, you know, listen, I can't, I don't want to live. I, I did tell her, I was like, you know, I, I'm going to be a Christian, you know, and okay. she didn't understand that at all. And we broke up. And, um, but unfortunately after about six or seven months, you know, my friends one night, uh, they said, Hey, you know, they, they were going to go to a strip bar is what it was, you know? And, they're like, you know, we want you to be the DD. We just want you to hang out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I finally kind of caved
2: uh-huh.
1: and you know, went with them. And, you know, I met one of the, the performers there. And uh, we, you know, we sort of went out after that. And that was uh, where everything went really south for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I uh, basically ended up going from like not, you know, not using, not drinking, not, you know, doing the stuff that I was doing to uh, immediately getting really sucked into like a really dark life. I mean, her dad had just uh, had died from cancer. Hmm. Um, And so when I went to her house, you know, she opened up this drawer I'll never forget. And she said, Hey, you know, my dad passed away. There's all this stuff left behind. And there was just like hundreds and hundreds of like really strong painkillers. And I guess to like rewind a little bit, um, You know, before I become a Christian, you know, I was mostly just doing what the other guys were doing. We were just like smoking weed and drinking or whatever, but my wisdom teeth uh, were coming in and the doctor prescribed me Percocet, you know, for, for whenever they were going to do the surgery or whatever. And, uh, and I took them as prescribed and I guess like for me, the reason why, first of all, though, I guess the reason why I started using and drinking and things like that is just because that's just what we did in my neighborhood. Um, I always tell people that, like, Jesus really didn't hang out in our neighborhood. Like, no one ever, none of the families that we knew of sort of went to church and, you know, except for my dad, you know, he was a little bit different. But for the most part, none of my friends, it's like they just, nobody was doing the church thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, that's just kind of what we did. You know, we just partied and stuff like that. And the reason why I think that I was doing it, though, is because I always felt like a real deep sort of emptiness um, in in my soul kind of thing, you know. Um, well, I've always, even since a little kid, sort of struggled with meaning and the meaning of life and purpose of life, especially growing up um, in a broken home
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with all the, the problems that sort of come with that, um, of just really struggling with, like, why am I here uh, on this earth, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so, I, you know, basically, I, I think I started developing some, some pretty serious problems with, like, anxiety and depression and things like that, which at the time I didn't know what it was. I just felt like something was wrong with me. You know, I was always feeling like this sort of pit in my stomach is the only way I can describe it. But I didn't really know what it was. Right. Um, but I do know this. Whenever the doctor prescribed me Percocet, that feeling went away. Like, I felt normal. I felt like a normal – honestly, I felt like the sort of dark clouds just kind of rolled away. Oh. And I just felt like a normal person, uh, which was such a relief at the time. You know, it really was. Um, and so – but, of course, you know, one becomes two two becomes you know, four,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, four quickly becomes eight, you know? Uh, and, and so it was kind of, the timeline gets a little messed up here in my head because of, uh, you know, I mean, just frankly, I mean, I, I, you know, that time is a dark time. And when you're using like that, you know, you, you, you tend to forget, you know, it's like a cloud, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but somewhere around that time is, uh, is whenever I sort of fell into deeper and deeper uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. Right, so I ended up, you know, it gets would get really expensive to maintain that kind of habit, mm-hmm. and when you find something cheaper like heroin, um, that's what you do to mm-hmm. sustain it.
0: But you were still, in some at some level, thinking of yourself as a Christian.
1: I mean, I don't know that I was thinking of myself as a Christian. I, you know, I was thinking of myself as I don't know really like what's happening with me right now. But in some way, I felt like no matter what's going to happen to me, I'm going to go to heaven,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It's like right. I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm saved. In some level, yeah. Like in other words, right? Like I'm saved. Like on some level, and and by the way, I have to be. I have to admit this. You know that I do feel like even through those super dark times, um, I really do feel like the Lord in some way was with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, and, and so I don't under, pretend to understand like that—the mystery there. But all I know is that even whenever I was being very unfaithful, he was being faithful. I, I believe, mm-hmm. like he was still there in, in many ways. And in my darkest hour, kind of thing. Like I, I've, I remember, like I just feel like I left him. He didn't. He didn't leave me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I did, in a very real sense, felt like you know, hey, if something were to happen with me, it would actually be a good thing because I'm going to go be with God. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, if I would OD or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go be with Jesus.
0: <laughs> Which you eventually <laughs> did OD, I guess. I did.
1: Uh, actually, I did multiple times. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it got really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, I, mean, I mean, it got really bad. I mean, without getting into all the gory details, but it was like, I mean, I had like a several hundred-dollar-a-day habit is what it culminated in. Of um,
0: um, Heroin?
1: Heroin and cocaine, both. Oh, no! Oh, I mean, it mm. got there towards the end where I was like, I was speedballing both at the same time, mm. um, which means like, you know, putting both heroin and cocaine in the same syringe. Mm. Wow, wow. <laughs> you know? So that's, yeah, I mean, it was, it was total death drive. You know, looking back on all the stuff you taught me, I mean, it was a, sort of a really nice example of the death drive being fight out.
0: So, the way that you've told me the story is that you, you did OD and kind of died, mm-hmm. and uh, but at some point you got arrested. But te- uh, can you explain what happened that things began to turn around? <laughs> yeah, and actually, the, you know, and
1: when I did OD the one time, it was kind of a miraculous thing because uh, I had flatlined, you know, for like a minute or so, and everyone thought I was gone, uh, but somehow I came back. Uh-huh. you know, um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, you know, how that happened. Um, but what was your, what was your question?
0: Well, you, at some point you became, uh, you were uh, dealing drugs, right?
1: Yeah, right, right. That's right. Yeah. So basically to facilitate my habit. Yeah. I mean, I was doing whatever I had to do to, to keep that going. And part of that was, uh, was selling drugs. And so, and it's weird, Paul, how God answers prayer because like I said, even whenever I was not living right, I mean, I was still like reading. It was very strange. I mean, I would like get high and I would like, I would read, you know,
2: uh-huh.
1: um, and I would still pray, you know, and, I, and, and and it got to the point where it was so bad uh, that I was like crying out to God. I'm like, you know, if, you know, if this thing is real, I like either kill me or save me, get me out of it, uh-huh. you know, because I couldn't get myself out of it. I mean, I was, I, I was doing impatient outpatient, you know, Methanol, Suboxone, anything you can think of to try to, to get this thing under control, and I just couldn't do it mm-hmm. uh, on my own. You know, and it's weird how God answers prayer because I ended up getting, uh, he answered the prayers to get me out of it by sending the police, which would have not been my way of uh, answering that prayer.
0: You was know? it the. Uh... That was a really. So by that time, you were working for like uh, a, a drug cartel, uh, some sort of uh, selling or messaging.
1: Yeah, well, without getting into, yeah. I mean, without getting into too many details on that, I mean, I was working with some pretty, some pretty serious people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, let's put it that way. And and basically, the, you know, I was arrested by the DEA and the FBI, and they they took down the whole cartel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so. I was in a really bad situation uh, where I was probably looking at about, like, seven years in the penitentiary or so. Um, and there was, you know, they they arrested everybody. So there was no, like, plea bargain that was going to be offered or anything like that. Actually, they told me that they were going to make an example uh, out of me. So it was bad, man. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and so... I uh, you know, I went to jail somehow. Again, this is all very sort of a cloudy thing because I was just using so much of the time, and uh, you know I withdrew, you know, in jail, which was awful beyond words. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up, you know, getting bonded out. And honestly, like my plan was—I mean, just being honest—like I, I was just like I don't want to go to prison. You know, I don't want to go to prison for seven years or ten years or whatever it is. And I was pretty much suicidal at the time, anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know and so my plan was to just end it,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and, and so what I was going to, you know, my plan was that I was just going to do what all, you know, drug addicts do, and I got bonded out of jail, and I was going to go get a bunch of dope, and spend the night basically getting high at a hotel, and I had one sort of fatal syringe already made up, and that was going to be my my plan,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but, you know, I got intervened again in the midst of all that. I had someone come to visit me, and they had a a flyer for this place and she saw what I was doing to myself and she was like, will you please call these folks (laughs) and at least give it a try? Like, what do you have to lose? Mm -hmm. You know, I have a friend that went here and she's done, she's doing really well now. And so I, you know, she was right. You know, I said, you know, you're right. I mean, I don't have anything to lose. You know, she said, at the very least you can make it look good to the judge, you know, that you're trying to, that you were just trying to facilitate your habit. And that's why you were selling. And, you know, you can say, Hey, look, I've been at rehab for all these months. So I you know I said, sure and I um you know, ended up calling and it was a it was a Christian church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and uh the man's name was Joel Wilson and he's since uh passed away last year. Uh-huh. Um, but he answered the phone and you know he said, How can I help you? And then I told him sort of who I was and he said, Oh, I heard about you boys on the news you know no. And he said, up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and he why don't you let me come get you, you know, and they said I'll take you out to the farm, you know, and I was sort of picturing this very serene, you know, sort of play a you know, ranch or something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I sort of get away, but they took me, you know, out to like this little farm that they had out there and that they called it the promised land and it's a, a Christian rehabilitation center. And, uh, you know, I, I spent some time there and kind of got clean and, uh, everything kind of started changing from there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he, he, you know, they, basically, you know, they they kind of sat me down and said, look, son, they said, you've been doing things your way your whole life. And how's that working out for you? Mm -hmm. And I said, not, you know, not very well. You know, I got to be honest, not very well. And Mm he said, you know, do you at least want to try to do it, you know, the way of Jesus? And I, I wasn't really quite sure, you know, what that looked like, even though I had, it's what's so funny, you know, is that, I had done, like, all this reading and stuff, but I hadn't, like, I hadn't appropriated it. You know, looking back, as I said, Kierkegaardian, word where he talks about, like, appropriation, where you make a truth your own truth. Mm-hmm. It becomes truth for you. So it's not just an objective sort of truth that, like, exists outside of yourself, um, but that it's something that you make a part of you, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, it, basically I had a decision to make, you know, and that decision was, you know what, I can either uh, keep going down the road that I'm on and probably end up dead and definitely end up in jail, um, or I can try it the way of Jesus. And their way of trying to do it, the way of Jesus, was to be baptized
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, and to make a public confession, right, of my faith in front of the in front of the congregation,
2: uh-huh. uh,
1: which was something very different, right? This was a very different sort of uh, process. Then I had tried to go through myself probably like six or so years before that, where it was kind of like me in my room by myself, reading the book, not telling anybody about it, not really having any sort of um, accountability, right? Uh-huh. Not having any sort of like family. Um, it, it, this is a very different thing where they were saying, hey, we're going to baptize you in the pond and, you know, there's going to be people standing around and we're going to celebrate it and then we're going to make you a part of this family and we're going to help you.
0: So it, it was, uh, changed my life. It was uh, I mean, what you're describing is two ways of becoming a Christian. One in which it was an interior kind of prayer, prayer, and intensely private. And the other was a public, open, uh, you know, joining of, of a group. I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. And it, well, and it really was for me because it made it, I guess it made it more real.
1: For me, right, because it was like when you stand there in front of people and you say, hey, listen, like, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, you know, the son of the living God, and I reject and renounce, you know, the devil, and, you know, you're basically making a commitment to be a part of, like, a body. It was something very different than what had happened before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was life-changing. It was life-saving, really. And by the way, it's like, you know, and you know, they're, they're they're a Christian church, just like the the many Christian churches that we know, and so they're, you know, evangelicals for the most part and uh-huh. um, I know that it's become pretty fashionable to sort of beat up on the on the evangelicals and I have a lot of problems with evangelical doctrine but
2: uh-huh. and
1: and frankly I think a lot of it a lot of it's dangerous, honestly, and, and uh, idolatrous, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but with that being said, man, some of the people that are sort of responsible for me still being alive and me being a Christian uh-huh. are evangelicals.
0: And you know? Maybe and maybe, I, uh, I maybe that d- deserves a bit of explanation that, you know, the Christian church uh, is sort of on the kind of the fringe of evangelicalism. It is, there's a whole group that, you know, depending on what you mean by evangelical, but uh, so that at least in the public proclamation the joining of the church and the kind of at least there were initial steps that in in a, in a sense uh uh is a is a, a bit of a departure from some of what is a, a can be a typical evangelicalism maybe yeah yeah i mean
1: i, I think so now and, and that's, it's, uh, your point's well taken, you know, because it, I, it, I guess in many ways maybe it was like sort of the best version of evangelicalism because it was sort of an embodied um, Christianity where they were saying, hey, this isn't something that you're just doing uh, in a prayer. And, I'm, and, and, and I guess, you know, as a disclaimer, I was probably doing like the worst of evangelicalism, but I guess I'm just kind of a nice example of what, how bad theology can kill you. Right. Which I, yeah, I guess um,
0: that's the, uh, so at some point in there, you you became very involved at, in the promised land, and the judge then uh, gave you uh, uh, a pass in some way, right?
1: Yeah, well, actually, so what happened was is that, um, you know, I sort of threw myself into the program, so I got baptized, and it was like, um, I really sort of committed to this thing, right? And started, you know, leading the worship there and baptizing other people, and really was going, you know, full speed. And at that time, I had made a vow to God, and and I did it with with another, or with a brother in Christ. And I said, you know, Lord, if you want me to go to prison, um, I'll be, I'll go and be the best man that I can be for you there. Uh-huh. And I said, but if you have anything else, something else that you want me to do, uh-huh. no matter what it is, I'll do it, uh-huh. right? And so fast forward a few months, I remember I had, my case was like an open and shut case, right? It was like the DEA and the FBI. They don't like to arrest people unless they have a, like, a super strong case. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had, you know, videos, pictures, aerial, audio, everything. Oh. Six months, six months <laughs> of surveillance. You know there was I mean? no question. So it was huh? like, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said like, it wasn't me. You know, it was <laughs> definitely
2: me, you
1: know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a tough one, you know? Um, And so I was kind of resigned myself to the fact, well, it looks like I'm, you know, probably going to go away for a while. Um, But I hadn't, you know, it was a first-time offense, serious offense. And um, fast forward, you know, a couple months, and I really was, like, throwing myself into the program, and I called the prosecutor's office to find out where I needed to go for court. And um, they put me in touch directly with the prosecutor, which I already thought was very strange. Um, And she got on the phone and said... Uh, this is Matthew Welch, and I said, yeah, this is this is Matt, and she said, um, you know, I, I asked her, I said, hey, I, you know, I have court coming up, and where do I need to go, and she said, well, I want to let you know that we know, you know, where you've been out there at the promised land, and we know the, you know, sort of what you've been doing there, and I want to let you know that the government has decided to drop all the charges against you, wow, wow. and I was, and I said, what? I said, no, I was like, you know, you, you should check your computer again, I was like, I think that you think that you're talking about this. <laughs> and she said, no, she said, she said, no, no, no. She was like, uh, no, I know who you are, and I know what, you know, what uh, what you've been doing. And she was like, and the government has dropped up the charges. She was like, you're free to go. She said, I would highly recommend that you stay where you are, uh, but you're free to go. Wow. It's a very kind of very strange sort of thing, you know, um, for that to happen. And I came to find out, and the only thing that I can make sense of uh, the, the, the way that that happened is, first of all, God's grace. Right. Uh, but second of all, I'm I'm almost positive that there was a, a very high up judge uh, on the board of directors at the promised land mm-hmm. who, who who must have made a phone call or, or done something, you yeah. know, because, again, it was a it was a it was a pretty locking, key, you know, case. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so, it, and I, I'm not one of these people, and I, I, just, I kind of hesitate to even tell this, but I'm not one of these people that says, you know, God talks to me and tells me to turn left at the red light instead of right or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I remember as soon as we hung up the phone with that prosecutor, you know, I guess my, whatever you want to call it, my sinful nature, whatever it was, I took one step and I was like, you know, I'm free. I could go do whatever I want. <laughs> I can leave right now. I could go, I could go stand up. I could do whatever I want. And I'm telling you, I took one step, and it was almost as if I could hear a voice that said, but you made me a promise. Yeah. yeah. And it was very, very clear, very strange. And I, it kind of stopped me right in my tracks, and I turned. And the director of the promise plan, who was my age, was just happened to be walking out of this house because I was using his phone. And he said, how to go? And I told him how it went. And he gave me a hug, and he was like, why don't you stay on staff? He was like, why don't you just stay here, man? You're doing a great job. Why don't you stay on staff here and, and help us out? So I did. Uh-huh. Um, I stayed there for probably six more months and, uh-huh. uh, did everything that I could do. And, and then I really felt like God was, you know, I still had a lot of questions, especially because of some of the stuff that they were teaching me there, uh, that definitely wasn't Calvinism, right? Cause they were, they're a very sort of strong Christian church, uh-huh. you know, and they're going, no, that's not true. Right. Calvinism isn't, you know, right. Uh-huh. Uh, let's read the new Testament here. I'll show you, you know, we'll, we'll go through acts, we'll go through all this stuff. And so, now I have, like, all these sort of theological questions, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, when I went to school in high school, I didn't do very well, you know, at school because I hated it. Like, I didn't care about algebra and whatever else, right? And so, like, I just stopped going. And I graduated. Um, but I always found myself, like, very much uh, in love with, like, theology and philosophy and stuff like that. And it was something that, like, I wanted to learn about. And so, like, I decided, I said, hey, you know, I think I want to go to school. And out of all the places in the world, I end up in Moberly, Missouri. Um, And then out of all the professors in the world, I end up, up, you know, under you. Uh Um, And I tell people all the time, and, you know, it it might sound silly or whatever, but I I wouldn't trade my education under U.S. Central for Notre Dame or or any other place. Uh I really wouldn't. I mean, it was exactly, like, what I needed for me. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of threw myself into my studies there, you know, at, at Central and,
0: um, yeah, I can, know, uh, I can tell my side of this, that, uh, this, uh, it, it's, uh, it's sort of odd that, you know, this, uh, little fundamentalist Bible college and, uh, that, uh, we, we did cross paths and of course sense of, uh, uh, disconnected. Uh, but I had a, uh, Ryan Hemmer actually, uh, was, uh, one of the first just, uh, really bright students, you know, that, that came in. Oh my goodness. And he told me about, he, you. he, he said, was...
1: <laughs> <laughs> at the time when I met Ryan, I'm not kidding. See, I didn't come from the world of academia, but when I met Ryan, I was like, this is the smartest dude I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and, I, I, yeah. uh, he's,
0: <laughs> Brian is now finishing a PhD at Marquette and uh but so and he he was telling me about you and that uh you know a little bit and brought you into class and so it it uh I think you were the most intense student I ever had in all the years I've taught Yeah, yeah you were that's, soaking that's up.
1: just me it's- yeah, well, that's me. I mean, it's like if I'm going to do something, even if it's drugs, it's like I'm going to go 1,000%, you know what I mean? So it's like that that's, you know, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I just look back on those years as some of the, just the best years of my life. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's, um, the, the thing of it is is that when you come from, like, where I've come from, you know, you can – and this is what I appreciate so much about your classes – is that you're so tangibly saved from, from like certain things, right? Uh-huh. Like you're, it, it's not an abstract thing. It's like, no, I'm saved from like addiction. I'm uh-huh. saved from, uh, you know, you, the way you kept on putting it was the loss and the death, the loss and the death. And, uh-huh. you know, it took us a long time to like sort of work out what that, the implications of all that. And we're still doing that work, but, um, man, it, it was just such a, I guess a revolution in my thinking. That was the thing that I've talked to a lot of the students in your classes where, you know, for a while, I remember whenever I first started, <laughs> I've told you this before, when I started in your classes, I thought, is this guy like a heretic or, <laughs> you know, what's happening here? But I was the heretic. Let's be clear about that. You know what I'm saying? I was the one who had uh, Christianity very well.
0: Um, and, and, of course, uh you know the 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 thing that uh I think that I was doing I don't know that i mean eventually you know the school there found out that we were teaching the gospel and uh right in in a full blown sense, and so i was you know to say uh, so in a sense orthodox christianity, the idea of a full blown you know peace loving nonviolent mm-hmm. christianity is repulsive and unacceptable in the sort of place that we were at. But uh, so uh, I, I don't know where, you know, that we we were both talking about the Christian church, but of course the Christian church has just sort of faded into just more evangelicalism. And unfortunately mm-hmm. that little school is the prime example of a, of a place that a but it it allowed for a period a kind of real orthodox Christianity, but uh, as the forces of you know business and just just uh, you know a kind of perverse Christianity took hold. And so I'm saying all this to say that your experience uh, it is perhaps not an unusual experience and could be had in any group with any, you know, it's just sort of American Christianity that there is this uh, stark disconnect between the lived reality of being a follower of Christ uh, and, and what is often, you know, uh, praying the prayer or doing a kind of privatized uh, Christianity so emphasize there tell- explain a little bit what you're because I always use you as the example. I always say, well, there you know there was Matt Welch, and he can tell you what bad <laughs> theology'll do for you, but explain then the 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 transition that you felt there
1: well, you know it's kind of like uh." I remember sitting in your class and almost, like, sort of going between, like, I don't understand, like, what you're saying and the things that I do think that I understand just didn't seem like they were right because of this big construct that I sort of have, right, pre-existing construct. Um, but I remember there were so many times in your class where, like, the veil would be lifted and I will go, wait a second, I think I'm starting to understand... <laughs> What He said, <laughs> he said something that, that made sense
0: for a change
1: You're <laughs> <laughs> right No, but it's just because I think that I, don't, I didn't have ears to hear I'm serious, I think that I was so deeply indoctrinated um, In falsehood, frankly um, That it's like, I, you know, it, it's just The gospel, I think, can be really like a foreign The true gospel uh, It can be like a foreign Thing that you can't even um understand uh-huh. and that many times it makes people angry that's the thing i mean you see that in the like, like in the new testament right uh-huh. where it's like uh-huh. people are getting angry with jesus uh-huh. and i saw this with you in some of your classes you like some of the students are like oh you know acts and you know blah 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 and sort of and you know from our conversations we're trying to talk to people uh about peace and things like that that oftentimes like that's when people get the most angry is when you're talking to them about nonviolence and peace uh-huh, uh-huh. which is very strange um but yeah. it's because i think you know that, that people are so deeply indoctrinated in a different uh man and it's a very and that, you know it's a it's a dangerous i think form of and i think of it and that's where i always struggle it's like I'm not ready to, if I learned this from your classes, it's like I'm not ready to say who's in and who's out, and it's the Lord's table, not mine,
2: Uh
1: right? But at some point, there's a Christianity that ends up being something very different from the Christianity that you're explaining, um, Uh which is sort of a a a peaceable kingdom, um, you know, a a kingdom that that isn't married, you know, to sort of the state uh, Uh and, and things like that. Uh, but when you first hear those things, you know, you've been, you've, you grew up in and, you know, the churches that you've gone to have had American flags all over the stages. And there's, you know, the symbolic sort of, you know, there's a lot of different symbols and things that you just sort of might not even recognize that you're kind of, that are deeply, you know, ingrained into you.
0: Uh-huh. So freedom is, you know, if you, once you, have an American notion and, and you fuse that with a Christian notion of freedom, well then, then unfortunately, you've lost the sense of a, of a New Testament idea of uh, true uh, freedom is, is, in fact, to be had in, in a completely al, uh, in alternative identity and alternative yeah. community. But a Christianity and I, I would have to say the little school there that the same thing that eventually they found out that you know the, the focus is on not going to hell and going to heaven. And I think mm-hmm. that may be the characteristic that is shared with an evangelical Christianity. In other right. words, salvation right. is a kind of future uh tense uh focus rather than an immediate, you know, lived reality that we're going to actually try to do this thing here and now. And so uh, the uh, offense of the gospel, it is offensive, uh, to when, when people hear the idea that, oh, we're, no, we're really supposed to do the Sermon on the Mount. And they're, they're, they're just, it's a very similar thing to what you've described uh, that uh, in some way their focus is so future and so hellish that uh, they kind of create a hell on earth because they're, they're imagining uh, a, a, a Christianity that does, that does not involve them in a, in a particular ethic.
1: And I might have been really sort of the the worst, you know, example of a bad theology gone wrong. And I'm okay with that, you know, but let me just tell you that that vision of Christianity is tragic. Uh It's Uh tragic. I mean, that if you're not teaching people that they can be saved from the stuff that's killing them, from, you know, uh, if if people don't understand in a really uh, concrete sense that like, no, Jesus wants to help you to become the person that you were created to be. Uh-huh. right? That, 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 that he's come to save you from these really tangible things that are destroying your life and your relationships, and um, and you make it about something else, and then you sort of marry it with uh, the United States of America or whatever else. It becomes like this uh, ugly sort of monster that, that isn't, in my opinion, I'm not saying there isn't some remnants of grace there where people are still Christians or whatever else at the end of the day, but it, 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 it's it, I guess I have to say it's just tragic that that's the message that's being taught and preached and stuff in their churches because people are out there that are just broken mm-hmm. and they need the love of Christ. Like they need real salvation from real stuff. And that's what Jesus has to offer. And it's like, honestly, Paul, in the midst of my addiction, and stuff like that, like I, I might've said like, Oh, if I die, you know, I'll go to heaven, but I could care less like I, about he I need to save in the present tense. Mm-hmm. You were living in of, like, hell.
2: Real stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I don't know how it gets more hellish than than that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and 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 I'm proof. I'm proof that like Jesus can set you free uh, of. <laughs> And and help you to become the person you know. God didn't create me to be a, a junkie. He didn't create me to be a an addict. You know, mm-hmm. even though that I thought that he did. A very serious, like a very um, you know, I, I thought that he created me. I blamed him. You know, I said, mm-hmm. and that's maybe the nature of Calvinism, right? Is that there's weird stuff going on there. They're like, well, I guess I'm just predestined. You know, I'm I'm a you know that this is you know I'm an I'm a child of wrath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, destined for destruction. You know, and that that pathology theology, man, it can really mess with your head and kill you.
0: And I think that's the the thing that you that uh, the the being a serious student when you came. I think to work yourself out of that, or to 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 get to. An understanding of the New Testament in which you've thrown off—it's not just Calvinism. In other words, Calvinism, I think, is is characterized. It is it is a kind of evangelicalism, inclusive of you know much of the the Christian Church, or I'd just say the Christian Church as it exists now. And so, to 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 do the transformation of the mind that Paul is describing. I mean, for me, it took me 20 years in Japan and and working this out uh, in in that situation. It really is a process. It's not, oh, you know, that. and the process is, in a sense, shedding yourself of one worldview and entering into an alternative world.
1: That's right, and that can be a really painful process, too, by the way. I remember having to sort of go back to my dorm room after some of your classes and kind of put my my head in my hands and going, man, I've been so wrong about, (laughs) and it's a, you know what I mean? It's a a painful thing to say, you know what? I used to be an advocate of going to war. Mm -hmm. I used Mm -hmm. to be an advocate of saying, hey, I'm an American citizen and, you know, it's time, you know, sometimes you just got to turn Iraq into a parking lot. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. just how, that's how it is. And it's like, but to have that realization of like, well, wait a second, there's Christians in Iraq. Yeah. There's brothers and sisters there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And to, and to, sort of understand what the Sermon on the Mount teaches and things like that, it can be a really painful thing. I think just in general for all of us to say, you know what, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I've been wrong. And about I the think, things that I've taught, I've been mean, thinking, you know, wrong about the things that I've Like that's a that's a tough one
0: for any of us. And so, what you're connecting, you know, the 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 two things that you're describing is that a a, a Christianity that has not shed itself of violence. It's not just oh, you know, you're you're describing the willingness to go kill people and the personal struggle. I think are very much interconnected because there is this view of the world that is just in inherently violent in which For not sure. only are, you know, one pitted against the other, but even within yourself, there is this kind of violent, agonistic struggle that you haven't, you know, that we sometimes don't recognize is resolved in Christ.
1: Absolutely. And I think that with that sort of worldview and what it's kind of happened Together with me, it's like with that change in worldview, worldview where you realize that. But well, wait a second, violence isn't at the you know violence and Christianity don't go together, right? And, and that's without and within. And I think that there's a lot of like healing and therapy. You know, you've talked a lot about in your podcast about sort of the therapeutic um, salvation that Jesus offers yeah. uh-huh. and the healing, the sort of the healing ministry that, and I think the healing that comes with good theology, frankly. Um, that bad theology is sort of torturous and it can turn you into a monster. And I believe that. And it's like, and and, and good theology can transform, uh, you know, your mind. It can transform your your character. It can transform the, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you interact with yourself, because you've relinquished that sort of violent orientation that you have both with yourself and with the world. And it's like, I think that that peace Plays itself out in very therapeutic ways and like life changing ways,
0: and that's a, yeah, that's you know, sort of what what you know. I think the the whole ministry here, the forging plowshare, is that it. The the uh, picture then is then a, a full blown you know peaceableness, and uh, the you know the alternative to that. I, I, and i i don't claim to completely understand this myself but there's clearly a a christianity a kind of perverse christianity you know the the people will do evil in a, in a more enthusiastic and joyous way in the name of god than in any other fashion and so that 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 uh, you know, this is sort of the Kierkegaardian notion that a that that the, the demonic is unleashed uh, in a sense by the perversion of Christianity in a more forceful and unfortunate way than it is by simple paganism. Mm. Right, but, and I think you're living it, proof of that.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and honestly, I guess part of me feels kind of bad because, again, it's like you know, one of my favorite conversation partners in the world is my dad. And I don't think that it's – I don't think that it was, like, sort of his fault or the fault of, you know, Calvinistic writers or whatever. But I do think that for whatever reason, um, sin in its, you know, deceptive power used that sort of false um, theology to really screw me up. And so I'm just – I really appreciated kind of finding, you know, um, a, a teacher, you know, like you. Um, who, who, and I've had great, I don't other great teachers and some of them weren't, you know, just Christian church, you know, guys and stuff like that. But what, for whatever reason, the, the stuff that you were doing really, I, I can kind of look back and go, man, that's when my life really started to, to change.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Um, and I started, you know, I started really throwing myself into like more ministry and serving and things like that. As I began to understand, because it's a wonderful thing, man, to me, I don't know. It's it's something very different to, to to sort of preach to someone say you know you know where you're gonna go when you die, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sort of you know, uh, right? Like that's one version to do this thing. But mm-hmm. to me, it was like a total different thing to say, "Hey, him, are you are you like super struggling with shame and guilt and and things that are you know addictions or whatever?" And to see people uh, and to say, "Hey, Jesus wants to set you free of all that stuff, man." Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, He can do it. And then to see it happening, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to be around whenever people sort of go to, well, hopefully I'm, you know, around when people <laughs> go to heaven, but I'm not there to see that process, you know, right, in the right. same way that I'm there to see someone like changing right before your very eyes because mm-hmm. of the of good of the gospel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing, and, and you know it, it, it's kind of carried me into the place now where it's like you know, and the unbelievable thing about God, man, and he's just been so good to me. I mean he really has is that if you'd have told me ten years ago that like I would be in Africa helping people and that I would be you know talking at schools and talking to kids mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, it's like I was on death's door, man, or going mm-hmm. to prison
0: mm-hmm. Well, let uh, This you know, is, yeah. I think this is the, you know, what we're coming to. And, and your story. I mean the the end of the story is is where it really gets excited. And the work uh, that you guys are are, are doing and and uh, at, with ninety one four. Describe a little bit then uh, the story of of how ninety one four came about and the particular work that you're doing there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how God works, because I was able to, you know, I baptized my sister after, and it was sort of whenever I was in your classes and stuff, that I was sharing a lot of the stuff that you were teaching, and I ended up baptizing my sister, Tara. And, you know, she was supporting uh, two kids from Africa, you know, how many people do you sort of write back and forth, and, Mm -hmm. you know, she did that for many years, and then she felt like she wanted to go over and meet them, even though she was scared to death to get on a plane. Um, But she felt something very much sort of, you know, pulling her uh, over there to meet those kids. And so she made the trip, and, um, you know, she got there, and she met the kids, you know, but her guide, uh, who is now, like, our national director, was sort of taking her around and showing her things, and they drove, you know, they were in Kampala, so this is Kampala, Uganda, uh, in eastern Africa. And, you know, Camp Powell is the the capital of Uganda, and they're sort of driving around down there, and they see this girl, and she's sweeping up beans that had fallen from a, tr- a bean truck, you know, a delivery truck. Uh-huh. She's sort of on the side of the truck, and she's sweeping up these beans into a little bag, and the driver of the truck, you know, sort of comes over to her and kicks her, you know, uh-huh. and tells her to get out and cussing at her or whatever. And so Tara said, like, well, who, you know, what's, their, what's What's the deal there? Uh-huh. You know, what's their story? So Rachel, her uh, her guide, said, you know, well, that's one of the Karamajong and the Karamajong migrated uh, down to Kampala from Northern Uganda, from Karamoja because of drought and famine and and war and things like that. Uh, And they're sort of relegated to the, to the slum districts of Mm -hmm. Kampala. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, uh, you know, Tara said, well, I want to see where they stay, you know? And so Rachel took her down there and of course Tara was just, you know, appalled by the things that she saw. And, uh, most of all because she has two daughters herself, Uh Uh you know, and she said, you know, the only thing that separates uh, these girls from my daughters is geography. You know, they were born here and my girls were born in the States and, you know, Kampala is built on, on seven Hills. And so the rich, you know, sort of stay on the Hills and the poor, of course, stay down in the slums. So things happen like in the rainy season where, uh, the sanitation and stuff literally washes down into the slums into people's shanties, uh, uh. you know what I mean? And that's whenever she was there. So she saw, you know, you, you walk down in there and you see the flies everywhere and you see the, you know, mothers trying to hand you their babies and uh, just the other oppression and the injustice that's happening there. Um, and she thought, you know, I have, we have to do, I have to do something about this. I have no idea how, what or how, but this can't be life. Uh. This can't be how it is for these people. You know, so she came back, and Tara and I are like best friends. You know, she came back and um, told me what she saw. And, you know, she said, I don't know what to do with that. We said, well, let's, you know, let's figure it out. Let's do something. And so basically we, uh, we started the 501C3 and uh, got a group of us together, and we put our, our own money together, and we rented out a, a little house on about a half an acre um, right in the, in the heart of, of Kampala. And Rachel agreed to sort of be that, you know, her guide, you know, Tara and, and Rachel sort of hit it off, right? Became like fast, like soulmates kind of thing. And Rachel agreed to 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 help us, right, with this project. Um, and Rachel, you know, is very intelligent. She, her, You know, she could have been a doctor or a lawyer or anything else, but she became a Christian and wanted to, to give her life to helping the Cameroon, so she learned their language, uh, all that stuff. And got a degree at one of the best universities there in Kampala in social work. Um and, and so, basically, the board of directors—we said, okay, we're going to put together, our, you know, our sort of limited resources, but we're going to rent out a place for six months. We're going to pack it full of triple-decker bunk beds and get the, you know, the sheets and the toothpaste, you know, all the stuff that you got to get to get it going. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Rachel sort of go and pick out. I think we started with like twenty, uh, sort of twenty of the girls who were most destitute, and these girls, um, I. It's, it's hard to, I guess, um, really do it justice, but these, these girls are, are uh, among the most sort of uh, at-risk girls in the whole world. Uh-huh. Um, what's happening, and I've been doing a lot of research on this, is that it's human trafficking is what it is. Uh-huh. And so these, these, these people are trafficked from, from Karamoja into, into Kampala, and they're forced into either uh, you know, labor, forced labor, or sex slavery, or into begging on the streets. But they're, all three of those are, like, serious revenue streams, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it's either, you know, they, you're buying people for labor, you're buying them for sex, or, you're, buy, or you're, you know, you're getting money from begging. But the begging is, like, the maybe the worst out of the three. Because what they do is they send out their, um, you know, girls that are 13, 12, 13, and they give them a baby to take with them so that they're more sort of, they can get more empathy and sympathy uh-huh. is, like, the thinking there. Uh-huh. So you're exposing, like, these young girls to, like, you know, when we're driving to Kampala, they're literally just laying on the sidewalk because they're so hungry and thirsty that they can't stand on their feet.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and, and, and what they do is the tribal leaders in the slums there, they say, okay, you go beg, you bring back all the money that you got from begging, and you give it back to us, and we'll give you the equivalent of about 30 cents, you know, 30 American cents. And if you can raise that much, we'll let you sleep in a shanty at night. Uh-huh. But if you can't raise that much money, then you have to sleep outside of the shanty. And what happens is, is the guy, you know, they make their own alcohol there. So the guys get drunk and they just, they beat on these girls. They rape them repeatedly. They gang rape them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's terrible. And um, so we had Rachel sort of pick out 20 of the girls who were like in the worst situation. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we grabbed those girls out and uh, we immediately like looked at each other like, okay, how are we going to sustain this thing? We're just like a group of like five or six like regular people. We don't have like a lot of money or anything like that. So how are we going to keep this thing going? Uh-huh. And so we reached out to everybody we knew, our whole network, um, our churches, our friends, um, and just told them about what we were doing there. And people just started hopping on board like crazy and helping us. Uh-huh. Um, and, and fast forward now, I mean, I've been there, you know, three times. And um, we're, uh, we just purchased. So it's, it's crazy that we went from that to in just three years. We now have 27 girls. All of them have a sponsor. Um, To sponsor a girl is $100 a month, which is like a pretty significant commitment for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the kind of supporters that we have, you know. So we have Mm -hmm. all 27 girls supported. Um, We have all five staff members supported. We have a project vehicle. And then we just purchased five acres of land just outside of Camp Mm -hmm. Mm Kampala. And so what we're going to do is we're going to – our plan is to expand the project uh, from – you know, we house like roughly 25, 27 girls now – to up to a hundred girls, a dormitory for a hundred girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to build a, you know, a school classrooms, a workshop, you know, a kitchen, a well, a church, all that stuff on like a five, mm-hmm. five acre mm-hmm. campus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of fundraising to do probably about 250 to $300,000. We have no idea, um, how we're going to come up with that money, but we didn't know how we were going to support the girls in the first place, but God has been super faithful
0: mm-hmm.
1: and has provided.
0: And, and, I just think that I, it always occurs to me that, that uh, first of all, you're dealing, as you've described, I think you've said that other aid organizations have identified the Kara Mahjong as the the most, uh, you know, uh, down and out. Thong,
1: yeah, they're, they're, that they're literally among, and, and this is how crazy it is, is that whenever Tara you know, sort of first felt God pulling at her heartstrings saying, hey, you need to do something about this. Like, we didn't know who the Karamajong were. And so when she came home and we started researching, we started finding that organizations like UNICEF and others um, said, hey, the Karamajong, specifically the adolescent girls, are among the most at-risk people in the whole world. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and since then, we started talking to other missionaries who have been to places like South America, India, China, and also Kampala and we've talked to them, and they said they've told us, like, yeah, these slums are among the worst places we've ever seen in our lives.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, the fact that your sister met this wonderful person, Rachel, in, in the country, who has kind of been your linchpin for this, and uh, that she been able to to she's been able to help you. Uh, it just seemed very providential.
1: Absolutely. And then, I mean, you know, we have, uh, we have other staff members the staff members there who are just, I mean, we just had our, our assistant director. He just graduated from the probably, the, I think it's the first, uh, university in Eastern Africa, uh, in Kampala, um, Makere uh, university there in Kampala. So God has like definitely given us some people who are very intelligent, uh, and who are very passionate about what they're doing. And, um, they've given us a good team here, you know, a uh, state side, but, To me, it's just amazing that, like, having gone through that first part of the story, and even whenever I was telling you, I'm like, man, this is, it almost seemed like a lifetime ago. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's almost kind of, like, embarrassing to talk about. Like, it doesn't seem like it was real, Mm -hmm. but it was very real. Believe me. Believe me, it happened. And it's like, and I didn't even, I didn't even really even kind of get into, like, the the really super gory details. But it's like, for for God to be able to take someone like me um, and so many people like me and to kind of... Really put them on a different path uh-huh. uh, to to actually for your life to matter, to, for your life to have meaning, uh-huh. for your life to have purpose. You know what I'm saying? And to be able to serve people who really can't do anything for you in return, except for give you a hug and tell you that they love they love you or whatever. You know, uh-huh. um, it's just such an honor to like really be able to see, um, the work of God. You know, and and Him sort of using you in a positive way instead of you killing yourself,
0: you know? And I think that even, even though you may not have seen this, that as you've come through here and you went out and you, there was kind of a time when you were kind of up in the air and did not pursue a a kind of traditional ministry. And I I always thought that there was, there was something you were going to do because you were just such a unique person you you you've got such charisma and people are drawn to you and I think uh, you know that that you've gone out and done this huge thing that you're doing this great significant work Uh, that uh, I think that was that was uh, I I don't I'm like you I don't normally talk this way but for uh, that that just seemed that uh, this is what you were meant for
1: Yeah. And I mean, and and that's a big deal. Whenever you go, you live most of your life looking at the sky saying, what am I here for? What am I doing? Was I created to, you know, to just to just like sort of get high and you know what I mean? And then die. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, God, you know, has like emphatically said, absolutely not, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful is though, is that like I wouldn't be doing the stuff that I'm doing in Africa if it weren't for my sister Tara. But then again, like, you know, God used me to be able to, to sort of like, you know, baptize her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it's like, that's just how the kingdom works, you know? And it's like, I'm so blessed to be able to do ministry with people that I love. I mean, I'm doing ministry with, with my sister, Tara, you know, Tom Evans, you know, is, uh, my, my closest friend, he's on our board of directors. You know, you guys have been very supportive and it's mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people get stuck on ministry with people they can't stand,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, <laughs> I mean, let's no, just be no. honest, you know, but it's like, I get to do ministry with, uh, with people that I, what I, that I love, you know? And, and um,
0: I've told you that, that, you know, we're sort of just uh, here at the forging plowshares. We're just kind of getting this off the ground. And the thing that we, we didn't want to, to be completely internally focused. We wanted to, from the beginning, to just be a, a group of people that uh, were focused outside of ourselves, which is, I think, the, the whole point of the church. And so the community here, when I I uh, described the work that you were doing, I mean, we we kind of said this is a project we we want to get behind and support. And we, I mean,
1: that's we we love you guys for that. We appreciate it. And like I said, um, you know, we'd be happy to, or I'd be happy to jump on a call or whatever because we have limited time here, you know. But um, it, this is the kingdom work, and I'm just so blessed. Like I'm happy. Um to be able to wake up every day now and, and to sort of go, okay, God, what's, what's mm-hmm. the mission? You know, that you, you, you know, you were the head of the missions department there, you know, it's cool. And it's like, um, it's awesome man to have a mission that's so much more than just telling people, Hey, you can go to heaven when you die.
0: I'm mm-hmm. I mean? And of but, course the, the odd part of this story is that, uh, when, when we were searching around trying to figure what in the world we were doing, you, Matt came through, you're one of the, you're one of the first people to support us here. So I don't know how it works that we're, that we're, uh, but it, it does work that we can, uh, we can support each other literally financially. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, I think that's sort of the way the kingdom of God works.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just so grateful for you faith and for, uh, I mean, you know, I always tell people the best, some of the best times of my life were, uh, and this is what you guys get to do all the time, right? It's like that you get to sit in your living room and and talk about God, talk about theology. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing to be able to sit with your friends. To me, that's sort of heaven, right? Like that is heaven. <laughs> You're going to sit around with your friends and talk about the the goodness of the Lord. And you know, I think can it get better
0: than that. Uh, and I think the conversation is, you know, you could say, well, it's it's, I think good conversation results in the sorts of things that you're doing. In other words, if you have... Yeah, you can... Go ahead. It, it, you, you, uh, uh, if you're not having the right conversation, you're also not having the right life. I think those two things come together.
1: Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Um, because if you can't... Once you kind of really get your head and your heart uh, around what's happening in the New Testament and what Jesus, you know, who Jesus is and what he's doing, like, I don't understand how you can just sort of go to church on Sunday, or, or how you can just kind of check the box, like, I've never, but again, my personality, like you said, is like a, you know, a thousand percent, you know, it's like, either we're going to do this thing, or we're not going to do this thing, but to me, it's like, once you kind of understand that this is life, and that this is truth, and that this is reality, it's like, man, I, you know, it's either I actually participate in that, or I can just, like, you know, play video games or, or whatever. Like, you know, all that other stuff just becomes completely secondary to, like, a lifetime spent walking out and walking in, you know, that mission mm-hmm. of God.
0: Let me, uh, in, uh so if we, uh, for anybody that's listening, tell us what we can do, uh, with, uh, the, your website and, and how we can uh, send you some uh, boxes of cash.
1: Yeah, <laughs> about 300000 Paul, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you could just go ahead and just write some checks 300000 that would be great. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we're at, yeah, so we're at uh, www.914.org. That's www.914.org. That's the number nine, the number one, F-O-U-R.org. And we're at Facebook. Uh, same thing, 914. Instagram at 914. So check us out. I mean, I'm at Matt at 914.org. Uh, dot org, And uh, if you have any questions or, if, you know, if you want to talk or whatever, feel free to, to, to shoot me an email. And, um, you know, we can, we can use help. that's not just financial, too. We're looking for people to help us with social media. We need to get better at that. We're looking for people to help us with marketing, with branding. I mean, this thing's getting, you know, a lot bigger than we ever expected it to be. Uh-huh. So it can get really overwhelming. Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, we're just, you know, we're just a group of regular people that are kind of going – okay, how do we, how do we do this? Right. it's like, we need a team of people who are like, Hey, actually I'm really awesome at social media. Can I do that part for you? Uh-huh. You know, or I'm, I'm great. i I have a background in marketing. You know, it's like we have zero, really zero marketing dollars that are coming in right now. So it's like, and God is still like, you know, completely taken care of like what we're doing. So, um, if you're interested in something like that, please shoot me, a, you know, an email. Again, I'm just matt at 91, four. Dot org. Um, or, or, you know, get in touch with Paul and he'll put you in touch with me for sure.
0: Man, it's been great. It was uh, so appreciate the conversation. Uh, we're going to have more conversation. I want to get you in on some of our, uh, you know, John and I uh, talking about scripture, Lord, because I know mean, that's
1: Yes, for sure. A lot of the time, and uh, I love you. I love faith, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. And, uh,